You're listening to the SSPX Podcast, and welcome to Questions with Father number 37 with Father David Sherry, the District Superior of Canada for the Society of St. Pius X. As the world and the media turned their attention to Canada last week for the visit of Pope Francis, many of our listeners had questions. So we spoke to Father Sherry about four main topics regarding the so-called penitential pilgrimage of the Holy Father. First, should the Holy Father or any Pope apologize on behalf of the Catholic Church for anything? If so, under what circumstances, and for what things? Second, should the Holy Father have even visited Canada? Third, it's a common narrative these days to say that the Catholic Church colonized and forced Native peoples, not just in Canada, to convert to Catholicism. Is this the practice of the Church? And specifically, did it happen in Canada the way it's been reported? And fourth, what are we to think of the Holy Father, or any Pope, Bishop, or Priest, taking part in Native ceremonies? such as accepting the gift of a native headdress or being present during a native smudging or incense ceremony? The answers to some of these questions may surprise you, and you may look at this situation just a bit differently afterwards. To find all of our Questions with Father episodes, as well as our recently finished sacrament series and our always popular Crisis in the Church series, please visit sspxpodcast.com. There you can find info about sending in a small donation if you're able to as well. Now let's join Father Sherry right now. Father Sherry, thank you for taking the time to chat with us about this issue today. Um, Father, we figured you would be the perfect person to speak with since all of this happened on your uh, home turf, or at least your current home turf as the superior of the District of Canada. So thank you for joining us today, Father. You're very welcome, Andrew. I'm very glad to be here. Great. Well, before we talk about the specifics of what happened in the last uh, week or so, we're recording this here on, on Wednesday, the what is it, the third? Um, before we dive into those specifics, could we talk a little bit about apologies in general? And should the church ever apologize for anything? Start in a more general principle, and then we can dive down into the specifics, Father. Okay. Uh, the short answer to that question, Andrew, is no. And uh, the reason is that the Catholic Church is the body of Christ. It is uh, holy and unspotted, and it is incapable of doing anything wrong. So the answer to the question, should the church apologize for anything? And the answer is no. Uh, the constitution of the church, the foundation of the church, the mission of the church are all divine. They come from our Lord Jesus Christ and that means that the church itself does not have to and should not apologize for anything. However, there's a second part of this, uh, which is that the Catholic Church is the body of Christ, but it is composed of men. And these men are variously uh, saintly or mediocre or knowledgeable, or some of them are ignorant. Uh, some are good and some are wicked. And these men, who are the members of the church militant, they may indeed uh, do bad things, uh, for which they should certainly both repent and repair, uh, insofar as possible, the damage done. Um, I think it is a mistake for us as Catholics to go down the uh, road of sort of trying to hide the fact that there were you know, bad uh, 
people in the church, bad clergymen, bad bishops, bad popes. Um, I was reading in the memoirs of Frank Sheed, the famous publisher, uh, Sheed and Ward fame. Uh, he, he had the funny idea. Hilaire Belloc wrote uh, a book for children called uh, A Child's Book of Beasts. And then he wrote a second one called uh, More Beasts for Worse Children. And uh, Frank Sheed said that he was thinking of, uh, of publishing a couple of books for Catholics. So it would be a, a Catholic's book of popes and then more popes for worse Catholics. <laughs> In other words, uh, the temptation may be to uh, say, well, you know, the popes, you know, they're, they're all saints, they're all good. The answer is they actually aren't. They weren't. There are so many popes who were saints. And uh, we know we celebrate frequently the feasts of the holy popes. But there were others who were extremely worldly, um, wicked, uh, cruel, etc. And when people say to us, oh, the Catholic Church, you know, you're not the true church because look at all these bad popes. What I think we should say to them is, yeah, and they were actually worse than you think. Uh, because that is not what makes the holiness of the church. It's not men who make the holiness of the church. What happens is that the holiness of the church comes from what Christ founded, the constitution of the church, the powers of the church to teach, to rule, and to sanctify, the sacraments, the faith, the mission to convert all men to Christ, these are what makes make the church holy. And our Lord, he, he explained this in the parable of the, the wheat and the weeds. Uh, you remember this, this parable, um, Andrew. It's the one where the, the farmer, the uh, householder, plants a field full of wheat. And then during the night, the enemy comes along and he oversows cockle or weeds in the field. And then when the spring comes and there's weeds growing up together with the wheat, the servants of the householder say to the farmer, do you want us to go out there and pull up the weeds? And he said, no, lest doing so you also pull up the wheat. The harvest time will be the time when we will gather the wheat together into barns and the weeds we will burn. In other words, the Catholic Church is composed of good men, saints, uh, good women, good children, and also those who are dead members of the church, those in mortal sin. This applies to the uh, highest as to the lowest member of the church. There, is, there are only two members of the church who have never committed any sin, our blessed Lord, the head of the church, and his holy mother. And the time will come when uh, Judgment Day arrives, when Christ will then <clears throat> uh, judge and distinguish between the wheat and the weeds. So I think it's, it's to take a fairly, um, <clears throat> a fairly uh, simple answer is the Catholic Church cannot apologize because unlike any other religious organization, she is the body of Christ. Uh, other organizations, whether they be sects, that is, uh, Protestant denominations, or whether they be golf clubs or uh, um, commercial organizations, all of these are man-made. All of these are, are fallible by their constitution and by their, uh, their mission, whereas the Catholic Church is not. It is indefectible, and it's, uh, it's very important to keep that in mind. Uh, the Catholic Church is the city seated upon a hill, it is the light which we must not hide, but the, the uh, Catholics may be saints, 
the church can canonize those to show us what we should aim at, or they may be devils. And that is where the apology should come from. So in the case of uh, the members who are wicked, like you said earlier, uh, and doing something, uh, say, on behalf of the church, so let's say that there's a, there's a pope who's doing something and he claims uh, that he's doing it on behalf of the Catholic Church and he's doing something wicked, um, should, a pre, should a later pope come back and say, you know, on behalf of the Catholic Church, I apologize for the actions of this man, but I don't apologize for the church in general. Is that the distinction you're trying to make? Uh, you, well, yeah, I think you take the example of, you know, a Pope who does something wrong. Uh, you could, uh, you could take the example, uh, historical example of, uh, the only English Pope, Pope Hadrian IV, who, uh, gave Ireland to King Henry II. Now that's something for which, uh, you could say that he should apologize for, uh, for entrusting this to, uh, to, to, uh, to Henry II, the English King. So... Uh, if he himself has made a mistake, because as we know, uh, Andrew, popes are infallible in accordance with the limits which were spelled out in the First Vatican Council. So a pope in defining the faith, so in saying what the faith is, when he intends to bind the church on a matter of faith and morals, he is infallible. Otherwise, he is fallible and he can make mistakes, and popes, of course, have made mistakes, and some have also acted uh, evilly, if we look back at history. So what that pope should do is he should uh, repent. He should then repair what he has done, okay? Uh, in the case of, I, I just evoked of, of Adrian IV, of course, it was somewhat tongue-in-cheek because uh, it, he, uh, you know, it was, it was, those were different times where, uh, feudal times, let's say, where uh, the, the Lord may, may indeed have come from a foreign country. It, the history afterwards was not so benevolent, but uh, I was slightly tongue-in-cheek there. But let's say that the Pope, you know, he uh, condemns someone to death unjustly. Well, he clearly needs to uh, uh, re repent, repair, and re reparation will involve demanding pardon of uh, him whom you have offended. Now, a Pope afterwards... Well, he didn't actually do this thing, so why would he apologize? So mm -hmm. is he apologizing on behalf of the Catholic Church? No, because the Catholic Church is inviolate. Um, is he apologizing on behalf of himself? No, because he didn't do it. He didn't do it. Uh, so he's apologizing on behalf of somebody for whom he's not responsible. What the Pope, in fact, should do, and has often happened, I think, in the, in the history of the Church, is that he needs to correct the the... The, the role of Peter is to teach, to rule, and to sanctify the entire church. Teaching means telling the truth, and ruling means correcting abuses. And uh, so therefore, if there was an injustice, then it behoves the successor of the Pope, let's say, who did the injustice, it behoves his successor to uh, set the record straight so that we don't make the same mistake again. So if you, I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but if you take the case of the uh, residential schools in Canada that we're going to dive into a little bit more deeply later on, um, so the government of Canada said to the parents, okay, you have to send your children to this school. You don't have any choice. Okay, that's wrong. Uh, it behoves the Pope to clearly teach, in fact, as, as Pope Pius XI did in his encyclical on Christian education, 
that the state does not have the power to compel parents to send their children to any particular school. It is, uh, you're trampling on the parents' rights. It is wrong. Now, should the Pope apologize for, for that? Well, Francis wasn't around when that happened. Mm -hmm. And in any case, as we shall see, it wasn't the Catholic Church that uh, brought up this rule uh, that you had to send your children to schools. The Catholic Church has always uh, held the rights of parents uh, to educate their children um, and not to be forced to do it in a particular way. But it certainly would behove the Pope to come out and say, okay, this is what is true, this is correct, and um, apologize on behalf of the Church. The Church, as the mystical body, is not guilty. Individuals uh, certainly may have been, but uh, you know, how can you apologize on behalf of somebody who's dead, who you didn't have anything to do with it? Um, should we have the uh, Prime Minister of Israel to apologize, or not the Prime Minister of Israel, but perhaps the, the head of the Jews to apologize for what uh, Caiaphas and uh, Annas did? They, in fact, simply should set the record straight and say, well, we were wrong, uh, our people, this was wrong to kill, uh, to kill Jesus Christ, he is the Messiah, but I wasn't there, I didn't do it. Right. I think, I think what you've just laid out here in the last four minutes or so, Father, gets kind of at the root of maybe what the issue is, as I'm just thinking about this now, where our modern society expects an apology for everything from anyone, from, you know, putting blame on someone regardless of whether or not they did the action. Um, it's, you know, you would have critics who would say, well, it, it helps the healing process. And, and we'll get into the specifics of this specific issue. I'm not just talking about this, but it helps the healing process of someone who was wronged for someone to come and apologize. And, and what you're saying here, Father, is that doesn't make sense at all, not even from mm -hmm. a Catholic perspective, but just from a logical perspective. Why should you expect an apology from someone who did nothing wrong? It's a false apology. Right. I think, I think what the, the perhaps mistake there, if you like, Andrew, is that what, uh, what perhaps people are asking for rather than apology, because clearly I can't really apologize for what I did not do. Right. And in, in some senses, it's not a good idea, in fact, to apologize for what you did not do. But what they may, in fact, actually be asking for is, uh, is, is uh, compassion. Yeah. Uh, comfort, setting the record straight, okay? So I think, uh, for example, take a historical example, uh, St. Maria Goretti was murdered by um, uh, this uh, young man called Al Alessandro, and as she was dying, she forgave him. But he wasn't sorry, but she said, I forgive you, which means not that you're actually forgiven because clearly in order to be forgiven, you need to be sorry, but I am ready to forgive you. And she died uh, in, in this great uh, charity of being ready to forgive her, her aggressor. Now, years and years later, Alessandro had a, a vision uh, during his sleep in which he saw Maria uh, showering him with, uh, with graces and he had a conversion and he went to Maria's mother and he demanded pardon, okay? Well, that's perfectly normal. It's that uh, he did the crime, he needs to go and demand pardon of God first, whom he offended, and also of the family whom he uh, cruelly offended. Now imagine he hadn't done that and instead his parents come along. And his parents come along and they want to uh, apologize 
Well, they can't apologize for actually doing the murder. What they could apologize for, perhaps, is, you know, bringing up their son in such a way that he was a kind of a, a criminal. Um, but really what they need to do is they need to show compassion and they need to comfort and, and uh, they need to, to, to show that they do not agree with this, that they do not agree right. with it. So I think um, what the, let's, let's say the case of, of Canada where, you know, the indigenous people, so the, the, uh, the native uh, Americans or uh, Canadians, they, um, they say, look, we need the Pope to come over here and apologize to us. Well, I think it'd be quite reasonable for the Pope to say, you know, these, these, uh, these people uh, are good people. Um, I should go over there and talk to them. And I think that would be quite reasonable. But to go and say, well, I'm going to apologize uh, for, let's say, things I didn't do, or I'm going to apologize and give the impression, let's say, that I'm apologizing on behalf of the Catholic Church, the Institute, uh, Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister, said to the Pope uh, publicly last week, that the Catholic Church as an institution needs to apologize. Well, that's not possible. Um, however, I am going to come over and set the record straight, and I am sure. going to, to listen to you, etc. I think that's that's a perfectly charitable and normal thing to do. Right. So let's let's um, get into that. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Father. I was going to say on on the modern world, Andrew, that uh, you know there's there's also. I, the modern world is entirely infected by the inversion which took place at the time of the Reformation. So at the time of the so-called Reformation, uh, God was moved from the center and man was placed at the center. Okay, And so the reformers came up with the idea that the church is holy because all the members of the church are holy. They said, if you're not holy, if you're not in the state of grace, you're not a member of the church. So the church essentially became invisible. Nobody knows who's a member of the church. And it's holy because made up of holy men. And this means then that if you apply this to any institution, it's that every institution is, uh, is, is somehow corrupted because there are sinful men who are part of the institution. And so therefore, anything bad that happens, it's kind of the fault of the institution. Whereas in reality, uh, the Catholic Church is not holy because all its members are holy, but it is holy because it is capable of rendering its members holy. And uh, the reform which we need in the Church is not a reform which pulls out all of the weeds, clamp down on all human weakness, make uh, no allowance for inevitable human weakness, but rather to say, this is all the institution's fault. We need to reform the institution. And that's what, uh, that's what Luther said and the other reformers, is there are corruptions in the church. And there were. There still are today. Uh, therefore, we need to reform the institution. And so they, uh, they ended up destroying the institution insofar as they could, because the Catholic Church is not capable of being destroyed. Um, but you see how it's, it's an inversion which makes us think, well, goodness, look at what happened in those um, residential schools. This is the fault of the institution, the Catholic Church. Or this, is, this means that Canada as a country is intrinsically evil. It's a colonialist, uh, oppressionist country, etc. Whereas, in fact, the, the reality is 
that the Catholic Church is the body of Christ and there are men who act variously well, badly, in ignorance, maliciously, etc. All of that's quite possible. And Canada, the, uh, the country, is in a sense, it's uh, inviolable because it's, it's not the, the things which sort of maim uh, the country, if you like, which, which are part of the country. Those are like almost like cancers on the, uh, on the true body, as it were. A bit like when you think of England. Well, the true England is the England which remained faithful to the Catholic faith. The fact that many, uh, many uh, left the Catholic faith certainly sort of is a, is a disgrace, but it doesn't sort of mean that I don't love England anymore if I were English. It means that I love the, the, true, <laughs> the true England, which in fact did remain faithful, and that this uh, heresy, etc., is a kind of a cancer on, on the face of my country. That's fascinating, Father. Thank you. Um, so getting into some of the specifics here, again, taking a little bit of a broad view and then moving into um, well, specifics. Um, could we talk a little bit about this this notion or, or this idea of colonialism, uh, missionary work of the Catholic Church? I'm down here in Phoenix, and so you know, there's a lot of talk down in uh, Mexico, South America, about you know how the Catholic Church came in and forced religion on all of all of these uh, indigenous people. I, I don't know much about you know the the first peoples or indigenous peoples in Canada, but just from reading the news, it sounds like. The Catholic Church came in and forced everyone to convert and forced all of this stuff to happen. Um, so I guess my question in two parts is, uh, first, um, is this the way that the Catholic Church goes in and and does missionary work? And second, did this happen specifically in Canada? Okay, good question, Andrew. Um, the short answer to the first question is no, this is not the way that the Catholic Church does work. Um, if you go back to the beginning of the Catholic Church, uh, over centuries, the pagan world became Catholic, and it was done without any martyr among the pagans. There was no stage where the Catholics went in like, um, uh, let's say, the, the Islamists did, and said, okay, it's either convert or the sword. That never happened. Um, however, individual Catholics may have thought that it was a good idea. You know, you know how it is when you're when you're thinking yourself something which seems like a good idea. You say, "Well, I'll do that then." So you think, for example, you know, I got my Protestant friends up the road or my uh, pagan friends. Their children are going to grow up Protestant or pagan. It would be much better that they grew up Catholic. Therefore, I am going to uh, take their children off them and uh, put them in a Catholic school. But that's wrong. You do not have the power to do that because the parents have rights which you cannot uh, trample over in that sense. And so a famous historical example was Charles the Great, uh, Charlemagne, uh, went into a certain tribes in, in Germany and he said to them, okay, it's uh, baptism or death. And uh, the Pope, uh, the Pope uh, called him out and he said, uh, Charles... That's not right. You cannot force people to be baptized for a very simple reason. It is that uh, baptism and the act of faith in Christ is an interior act. Now, baptism is an exterior sacrament, but it, uh, it provokes or it causes 
an interior justification of the soul. Now, take a case where somebody is baptized for, you know, for, let's say, monetary reasons. Um, I want to marry Juliet. Juliet's a Catholic. Um, and so, yeah, I don't believe that stuff, but I want to be baptized so I can marry Juliet. She's rich. So I do that, but interiorly, I do not believe. And I, I persevere in my sins. I, I'm not justified. I'm not, uh, I have not received the grace of the sacrament of baptism. And so the Pope said, I forget the name of the Pope, I should have checked this before coming on, but um, the Pope said, no, don't do that. And so there always have been, and we know how this works, it's, there's always hotheads uh, yeah. who think, you know, I know how we should do this, let's do that. And that's kind of, I think, the message of St. Thomas More's uh, book, Utopia. People are always wondering, you know, what, why did St. Thomas More write this book in which he supposedly... Uh, encourages us to live in this kind of world where there's divorce and uh, euthanasia and things. Like, how can a saint do that? What he's doing is, he's showing us, this is what you do when you don't have revelation and you know it all. You end up thinking for the best purposes, well, you know, these older people are, you know, they're sick and they're not able to work anymore. Let's just kill them off. And you will end up doing that if you do not have revelation. So in the same thing, the church uh, guides its uh, many, many, many children and says, no, you do not have the right to force people to become Catholics. You may not forcibly baptize, but what you must do, priests in particular, bishops in particular, and all Christians, is you must follow the uh, commandment of Christ, who said, go teach all nations to observe all of the things that I have commanded you. Okay? He didn't say go teach the European nations. He didn't say go teach whatever nations you know you think are to accept. He said teach all nations, which includes all of the Native American nations. So when the uh, people say, well, the Catholic Church came and imposed a colonial religion on the Native Americans, first answer is they did not impose. And the second answer is that religion is to be judged not based on where it comes from, as in geographically, but based on whether it's true or not. Okay? There's a famous uh, story, or perhaps not that famous, but in the life of St. Patrick, where uh, a couple of St. Patrick's fellow missionaries in Ireland um, are they're preaching in the west of Ireland. And, it's, and they're from the continent. They're not Irish. St. Patrick wasn't Irish. Uh, he came with uh, the true religion, uh, displacing the indigenous relation, uh, religion of the pagan Irish. Thankfully, he says in his, uh, in his confession that when I came, I saw the people doing unspeakable things in their native religion. And he thankfully uh, banished that and the snakes from Ireland. But anyway, these European uh, missionaries arrive and then the native Irish, as they can be, say, well, you know, where are you from? You know, what country are you from? And they replied, they said, don't ask us what nation we're from, ask us what God we believe in. Because that's, that's what it is. The Catholic Church is called Catholic, and remember it was first called Catholic by St. Ignatius in the year 108 AD. It's called Catholic because it's for all people of all times and all places. So indigenous religions you know, are a mixture of uh, good ideas and superstition and diabolism. 
That's what indigenous religions are. Uh, G.K. Chesterton in his Everlasting Man explains very, very well about the different types of paganism, the different types. Some of it is, is wholesome in a sense, you know, the wholesome idea of the, the gods of the hearth and the, the mythology which, uh, you know, explains to the best of our ability not having revelation, how the world works. And then it becomes more obscene and that's bad and it becomes more diabolical and you start killing children and all that sort of thing. So, um, so the Catholic Church, now clearly, you know, the great age of discovery, many men, uh, let's say, came to the American continent from, you know, the great kingdoms of Europe and they came for all sorts of reasons. Uh, they came to get the money, they came to... Uh, to actually bring civilization in 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 uh, in many cases to uh, to actually uh, bring the um, bring the the let's say the European civilization to uh, this continent. Others came to exploit and to uh, to you know manipulate, and the 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 missionaries came to bring the gospel. And if you look back at the history. Of, uh, and I'm, I'm in no sense uh, any sort of uh, historian, and I do not have you know all of the knowledge that I'm sure another would would bring on what actually happened. But I've I've read some some books, and you look at what happened is it was the priests who learned the languages of the indigenous peoples. It was they who uh, became the friends of the indigenous peoples. It was they who uh, talked uh, to the uh, you know, English government on behalf of the indigenous peoples. You read the lives of the missionaries in the, the north, uh, northwest of Canada, for example, Father Desmet, uh, the French missionaries. There was no sense that these people came and said, okay, we're coming to exploit you. There were Christians who did come and did exploit, but they were not acting as Christians. Right. So I think uh, if I were to to sum it all up, I would say the Catholic Church has a mission that it must fulfill. And St. Paul says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So if you come along now, as some churchmen do, and unfortunately even in, uh, for example, in, in the, the document that uh, the Vatican issued a few years ago about the Amazon, saying, oh, there was a colonial religion being imposed. It's not a colonial religion. It's the true religion, which was founded by Jesus Christ, which is the, the, the right of all men to have. And the native cultures, whatever is, is uh, diabolical, must be expurged. And whatever is impure must be purified. But the church does that not by means of coming along with guns, but rather by coming along with the power of the cross and the power of the gospel. And native people, I'm an indigenous Irishman, uh, I'm a native Irish man. I can't say, well, it's Irish, so it's better. You know, that's stupid. It's you have to right. judge right. and uh, judge things based on their truth and goodness, not based on what country they happen to be from. Right. That's a great distinction, Father. Thank you. So let's get into Pope Francis' visit specifically now. Um, and I guess I'd like to look at a couple different things. We've already talked about the apology part, but let's maybe get into that into some specifics. But then also maybe some of the ceremonies, quote unquote ceremonies, or you know, uh, traditional rites of uh, mm -hmm. the indigenous people that took place and that Pope Francis took part in. 
Um, so can we start with the apology part first and, and get into that a little bit, Father? Yes, um, I'm going to have to apologize to you, Andrew, because I've been preaching retreats this week, last week, and so I haven't actually, uh, I'm not able to uh, give you um, a sort of a, an analysis of what exactly he said, sure. because I don't know. Okay. But um, in general, so uh, let me just explain a little bit of the history, what happened. So the Pope came to Canada last week because uh, in 2021, there was a quote-unquote discovery in Kamloops in British Columbia, which is the, uh, the most western province of Canada, of unmarked graves. And these unmarked graves uh, became, uh, in the media, became sort of transformed into mass graves of disappeared children. In other words, children who were sent to the, to the uh, residential school. And the re that residential school actually was one which was set up by the church for the uh, native people to go to voluntarily which the government came along with its policy in, I think, 1893 to force uh, native children to go to schools approved by the government, which is trampling on the rights of the parents of those children. Uh, but many children were already going there voluntarily because, of course, many, if not m most, uh, indigenous Canadians were Christian, were Catholic. So the people are sort of... Uh, as getting in a, a little confused by sort of uh, contrasting indigenous with Christian. No, Catholic is universal. You can be any color, any race, any sex, and you're Catholic. It's, uh, and these were Catholics. So the story went out anyway into the media of uh, mass graves of disappeared children. Other stories uh, surfaced of children being flung into furnaces by... Uh, priests and uh, other graves were discovered, particularly in Saskatchewan, uh, in a place called Cowessas, where apparently 751 unmarked graves were discovered. And so the word went out there that you know the uh, there were children being disappeared, and then their bodies just being put into into mass graves. And so the word went out to the Pope that he had to come and uh, and apologize. Now. Far be it from me to give advice to the Pope, but when there are accusations of anything, the first thing that a judge should do, and the Pope is the supreme uh, judge in the church, supreme visible judge in the church, is to take uh, to heart Genesis chapter 18, verse 21. God says, the cry of Sodom has come up to me. I will go down and see what it is about. In other words, there's rumors going around that there's bad things happening in Sodom. God didn't say, okay, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's destroy Sodom. He said, I will go down and find out what is happening. And so that's really what uh, the Pope should have done, uh, rather than to simply say, okay, well, we're guilty of all of these things. Because in fact, Andrew, there has not been any evidence of these accusations being proven. And um, I'd like to, I mean, I'm not in any sense an expert, so I'm going to go, for example, based on this article which I have here, which was published in the National Post, uh, a national Canadian newspaper, on the 26th of May this year. And its title is The Year of the Graves, 
how the world's media got it wrong on residential school graves. And the article, which, which anybody can access fairly, fairly uh, easily, shows that no grave has actually been uncovered. So no excavation has been done. There is no evidence of any mass grave. There is no evidence that anyone in these schools died of anything other than natural causes. And academics who have studied the, uh, the question, such as uh, Professor Jacques Rouillard, uh, his study appeared, I believe, in the Dorchester Review quite recently. He's a, 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 a French-Canadian academic. It shows that what probably happened is that uh, these, as far as we know, as far as the evidence is in any case, that children died at these schools. Uh, mortality among children was much greater in those times. Also, the government who, which set up the whole system did not provide enough for you know, good uh, food and sanitation. These children died, were given Christian burials, and the crosses, which were wooden, disappeared over time. That seems, to, in any case, there is no, there is no proof that the, uh, what the media was trumpeting actually happened. And uh, what I'm saying there is simply a kind of a negative saying, well, nothing's been proven, no graves have been uncovered, there's no evidence of mass graves, there's no evidence that children were, th were flung into furnaces. What is for sure is that these uh, Catholic schools... Some of the residential schools were Catholic, some of them were not, but we're talking, let's say, about the Catholic ones. Is What I know for sure is that these Catholic schools were staffed by a mixture of saints, sinners, uh, kind people, cruel people, and the same as any other school that has ever existed in the, in the history of the church. And the people, uh, the native people, who say, well, I was maltreated, I, I believe you, I believe you, because I know, uh, I was a teacher myself for some years, I know that, uh, you know, uh, it's, 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 it's going to happen unless, unless you really try to, the teachers live the life of grace, try to follow, I would say, the example of St. John Bosco, the use not of, of fear, but the use of uh, kindness, all of these things. If that's not the case, it's very easy to just go along with the flow. Everybody's using excessive corporal punishment at the time. Well, let's use excessive corporal and, um, and so these things undoubtedly happened. But it's very important to, to make this, this point, uh, Andrew, is that the system by which children were unjustly removed from their parents, the system by which they tried to be uh, their culture, which, once again, the Catholic Church did not come to destroy, but rather simply to purify, as it did with all cultures that any uh, missionaries went to. Um, it was the government that set that up. It set up the system. The Church did not have the power to force children. The government did, and it did. And it was wrong of the government to do so, and it was wrong of the government to try to make children lose their language and their heritage, etc., what you could say is that the Catholic Church materially cooperated. And uh, not the first time in the history of the world that the Catholic Church has materially cooperated with governments. Because the government tends to come along and say, well, if you don't do this, what we say, then this is going to happen. And so you have to, you know, should the right. Catholic Church at the time have said, okay, uh, because this system is unjust, we're going to have nothing to do with it. 
Or should the Catholic Church say, well, we're going to try to run these schools as best we can. Clearly, there, there, there were lackings there, and there were things which need to be corrected and, and called out. Uh, we don't like the fact that the, the children are being made to lose their language. You know, fine. That's what the English government did in Ireland. They came in and they said, okay, uh, the reason I'm not talking to you in Irish today is because they took our language. Okay, am I going to come along now and say, you know, Catholic Church cooperated with that system? Well, of course the Catholic Church cooperated because what's the choice? Is have no schools or else Catholic schools with limitations put on us by the government? Uh, the utopian world in which everything is 100% perfect, it's not the real world. And uh, I'm, I'm not going to sit here in judgment in 2022 to say, you know, of course I know what should have been done. I'm saying we need to get the principles straight. We need to get the historical facts straight. We shouldn't hide any of the history. We shouldn't hide it. But at the same time, we shouldn't uh, say, well, look at how bad the Catholic Church was. Yeah. And uh, the church men today who say, well, you know, we apologize because we did collaborate with a system that was unjust. The same churchmen are still collaborating with the government in unjust systems today. They're still uh, collaborating, for example, in Canada and many provinces with uh, schools that are taking away the Catholic faith and the Catholic culture, so-called Catholic schools. You know, it's... it's uh, Really think uh, about the truth before you say, yeah, I'm going to do whatever the media says. Yeah, that makes sense, Father. Um, in terms of, and I, and I guess kind of the last point I wanted to chat about with you, Father, is um, there are many Catholics who have been scandalized by seeing some of the ceremonies that Pope Francis took part in. For instance, wearing the, uh, the headdress, um, taking part in some of these ceremonies. I think there's one that's called the smudging ceremony where, where it's like, you know, incense of some sort. Um, and in my mind, I'm having a hard time distinguishing between is the Pope taking part in a pagan practice and therefore it's idolatry and it's awful, or is the Pope making use of local customs similar to what many missionaries have done in the past, taking part in local customs that are not on their face bad in and of themselves. And, going along with it in order to be culturally sensitive in the best possible m meaning. I, I mean that. Um, how do you see some of these things that took place, Father? Okay. I think, uh, Andrew, that you just have to make a, a fairly simple distinction. Um, so the, the customs of, of cult different cultures um, are not something which the church in any sense tries to destroy. Um, it's, it's, uh, Whatever is good, the church keeps. The church does not want to destroy. In a sense, what our Lord said, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And whenever a missionary comes into a, a place that has never heard the gospel before, the missionary can certainly say, I have not come to destroy, but to fulfill. In other words, the, uh, the desires of the human heart, which are in every culture, the desire for God, I have come with the revelation from God. But where you have to draw the line is where the customs are in fact contrary to the first commandment, where they are involved in some way with what is in fact sinful or devilish. And this is the case with all cultures. 
all cultures which are not Catholic, they're not perfect. And in Catholic culture, there is also imperfection, but for a different reason, not because there's a lack of understanding, but rather because of the, the, the weakness of human nature, uh, by which we, uh, you know, it's, it, it can take a long time, for example, to give up a bad habit, okay? But getting back to the, the native uh, American culture, so when the Pope comes, it is perfectly legitimate for him to take part in any customs, as long as they are not in any sense sinful or in any sense um, superstitious or involved with the devil. So I, I'm not an expert on all of the meanings of these things, but I'm imagining that wearing the uh, uh, Indian headdress, which uh, was given to him, is is perfectly normal uh, thing to do. The uh, North American martyrs, or the Canadian martyrs, as, as we call them in Canada, um, they had native names. They, uh, mm -hmm. they received various uh, marks of acceptance into the local uh, nations. Uh, the, the fact then is that you draw the line when it's something which is in fact bad. So you have a custom, for example, in uh, some of the uh, native nations of Oceania, there was a custom by which the first child of a woman would be killed and she would rear a piglet instead. Now, clearly, the missionary who comes into the country is going to say, okay, that custom stops now. <laughs> and also, when you have the, uh, you know, you, let's say you do have, in fact, the English government in control in Canada, and it goes along and says, well, these things which are, in fact, evil are now against the law, that's not uh, trampling on native uh, culture. It's murder. You know, if murder happened to be allowed in your uh, in your culture that's wrong it needs to stop so where i think it would be objectionable and is objectionable in fact is where there is any sense of uh, of approving something which is in fact wrong or is in fact superstitious so the smudging ceremony which you refer to again i'm not overly familiar with it but it seems to be that you take various um, material things and then you use them to cleanse the area of evil spirits. Mm -hmm. Well, when it comes to that, there are only two ways by which you can get something like that done. One is with God, and the other is not with God. And if, if you're trying to kind of find out the future, or you're trying to get cured by some sort of you know voodoo doll, or you're trying to cleanse the area by burning sage grass, that's superstitious. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's, it's sinful. And uh, what the Pope, you know, clearly it may not be the time for the Pope to actually uh, tell the people, okay, you need to convert. Personally, I think it was the time. You know, the Pope comes over to Canada. Yeah. The people were open to listening to him. You know, he needs yeah. to tell them, look at, uh, I'm sorry for, for what has been suffered by you. Um, let me tell you the, the solution to, uh, to everything. It is Christ. And his cross. Yes. So, so in any case, the Pope should not be in any sense participating in what is a pagan superstitious ritual. That's a sin against the first commandment. And uh, you know, I didn't see uh, exactly what happened. Perhaps he, you know, he was just there. But he he could have come out and yes. said, "Look, I don't want, I don't want any. You know, all of the uh, uh, all of the indigenous customs which are good, fine. 
but I don't want any invocation of spirit gods or Mother Earth because that's paganism and it's wrong. Yeah, and and you know that his advanced team of bishops and cardinals knew everything that was going to be happening, and they could have said, of course, yeah, not this, yes, this, not this. You can be with somebody and something just happens, and you're there. Sure. You know, it's not, it's not. But in this case, he could have just laid it down and said, you know, he's the vicar of Christ. Uh, he's coming, and the uh, the indigenous people are are hurt by by what happened. Uh, the media is putting the Catholic Church in the front place as 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 the you know the biggest criminal in the whole thing. You know, him coming over to Canada to talk and meet. I think it's I think it's a good idea as long yeah. as he's as long as he's gonna you know talk and tell the truth and tell them, look at you know uh, we 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 didn't come trying to get rid of your culture. We came to give you the true God. You've got to get rid of the superstitions. You've got to get rid of whatever is, in fact, you know, evil, diabolical. Because all native cultures have that. Yeah. Well, Father, I know you need to get going, so we will stop it here. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to, to go through this with us and, and provide a uh, balanced but truthful approach to how we should be viewing, you know, the events of the last couple of weeks. So, Father, thank you so much. Thanks for your time, Andrew. God bless. You too. Thank you for listening to or watching the SSPX podcast. Please keep in mind the best way to help more people see these videos and to hear this podcast is to subscribe on YouTube or subscribe on your favorite podcast app and rate or review wherever you listen. Also, please remember, this is an apostolate. It's free to listen or to watch anytime, but we also need your help. Would you please consider submitting a one-time donation or sign up for a small $5, $10, or $20 a month donation at sspxpodcast.com. This helps us to continue this important work of sharing the beauty and the truth of traditional Catholicism with as many people as possible. Until next time, thank you for listening, and God bless you.